Boyd and Brooks podcast. I'm Laura Blavier Boyd. I'm Genevieve Nadler Brooks, and we are your hosts. On the Boyd and Brooks podcast, we want to bring you meaningful and fun spiritual conversations. In these conversations, we seek to explore vocational callings, authentic living, life mottos, and how faith and spirituality play an integral role in our lives. We hope that you will listen, enjoy, and share the podcast. We encourage you to subscribe to the Boyd and Brooks podcast on iTunes. It makes this podcast really easy to find in whatever platform you use to manage your podcasts. It also helps our podcast to be easier to find for other people. You can find us on social media. Our favorite is Instagram at Boyd and Brooks, as well as our blog, boydandbrooks.com. Here we go. Welcome back to the Boyd and Brooks podcast. Genevieve and I are so excited to finally talk with you about the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is basically a personality test based in oral history and oral tradition, unlike some of the other personality tests out there that people might be more familiar with, like the Myers-Briggs type indicator. And so Genevieve, for everyone, for context today, for what we're about to talk about, I'm going to ask you to read a brief intro to the Enneagram from The Wisdom of the Enneagram. The Complete Guide to Psychological and Spiritual Growth for the Nine Personality Types, because Eni means nine. Yeah, so um, this book has been one of our favorites as we've explored our own Enneagram, but this is the definition that they give. The Enneagram, pronounced Enneagram, Enneagram, is a geometric figure that maps out the nine fundamental personality types of human nature and their complex interrelationships. It is a development of modern psychology that has its roots in spiritual wisdom from many different ancient traditions. The word Enneagram comes from Greek word nine, ennea, enne, and figure gramos. Thus, it is a nine-figured, uh, nine-pointed figure. The modern Enneagram of personality type has been synthesized from many different spiritual traditions, um, and it lists out Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, especially the Sufis and Jews, for thousands of years. The heart of the Enneagram is a universal insight that human beings are spiritual presences incarnated in the material world and yet mysteriously embodying the same life and spirit as the creator. Oh, love that. Yes, so good. And then it says beneath the surface differences and appearances behind the veils of illusion, the light of divinity shines in every individual. I think that's one of the things that we've really enjoyed as we've talked about the Enneagram, is that it it has to be something that you self-identify right. and that you could be in complete denial about yourself and actually not, no matter what tests you take, you could come up with the wrong number. You could come up with the wrong type. Right. So one of the things I think this book really identifies is you need some people speaking into your life to talk through this with because you could pick something that's not necessarily accurate because of how invested you are in the facade, in the veil of presenting your personality. Right. So I think one of the things that I heard another, there's another podcast that is all about the Enneagram called The Road Back to You. Yeah, we love it. Which, check that out if you, once you figure out what your type is, listen into that because it's a really great resource. But one of the things that they've said on their podcast is, that it might help you to identify your type 
by the one that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be like that. Right. Or I don't want nothing to do with this. That might be an indicator that that one is you. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I think when, one of the interesting things as we've explored the Enneagram has been about the idea of your shadow self. Yes. Um, that it's not necessarily about what motivates you. It's about what happens to your personality under stress. How does your personality in these strengths, how do those strengths then also become your weaknesses when you're put in different stressful situations. Right. Which was really identifying to me as I read through um, the different types and then identified like, wow, no, I think when I'm under stress, that totally makes sense. I mean, it felt, it felt a little bit intimate when I was reading my time. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. Like it, it was really um, a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think that the Enneagram is really comprehensive in the fact that it shows you what you what your personality is like at its best. Right. On its average, like how you might be on a daily basis. And then it gives you that under stress part, which is also the unveiling of that shadow self, right. which I feel like other personality tests in my professional experience right. it has, d- don't do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I like the Enneagram. The other thing that I like about the Enneagram is that it's um, it's really inclusive of so many traditions. Yeah. And so it really feels like a truth for all people. Right. Which, if I may, quote from the great Richard Rohr. Yeah. My favorite. Your fave. He says, if it's true, it's true, it's true. Meaning, if it's true for one set, it's true for another set. It has to be true for everybody. Right, right. And so that's what I like about looking at other faith traditions. Mm-hmm. It's like to see where the, the same truths kind of yeah. kind of become revealed. Right. Um, Which I think that's been a great thing about that Road Back to You podcast because they are interviewing people that are aware of their own Enneagram type and then they expand on it. Like, how has how have you really identified as a six or a two? So, for folks that have not had any experience with the Enneagram, you're you're given a number. So that's how they differentiate these nine types. You're a one, a two, three, all the way to nine. And so you're listening to these people that are talking about, yeah, this was really true for me as an eight. This mm-hmm. was really true for me as a two. This was really true for me as a four. And so if you are one of those types, it can be like, oh, man, I totally relate to that um, aspect. Or, yeah, that kind of manifests itself a little bit in me, but it's still the pattern. I love to. Um, it's been really fascinating knowing our spouse's <laughs> numbers. Yes. And listening to people that are those same numbers on this podcast, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Definitely has helped me understand Brian, my husband, a lot better. Yeah. And we went actually to a college where in the first year experience, every single student was given the Myers-Briggs type indicator and then was given their results and gone over that. And that was really helpful. And so, but what Brian and I both learned is that we were the exact opposite personality types. And so... Also, knowing that going into marriage was very helpful. Yeah. But 20 years later, finding the Enneagram, I feel like is taking it to a new level where I understand aspects of him that Myers-Briggs didn't really even touch. Right. 
And I, I think hopefully he feels the same. But. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, too, the Enneagram really goes down to what you value and what mm-hmm. your fears are, right. which is a little bit different than are you extroverted? Strengths and challenges. Or, right. Right. Extroverted or introverted? Are you, yeah. do you, how do you perceive the world or whatever? It, it really gets down to the, it feels like it's getting down to the root of things. Definitely. Versus just analyzing how it, how, how you manifest. Right. How it those things manifest in the world. So that's the great thing about Enneagram too, is that you can apply this in every context. Oh my gosh. I mean, you could use this in the corporate world to understand your, your sales team better. Yeah. You could find out like what motivates them. Mm-hmm. You could find out like what holds them back. Right. And then you could find someone of a different type who can maybe help, help them with that. Right. Right. Or model for them a skill that's needed that they are really gifted with. Yeah. It definitely in relationships and marriage relationships or romantic relationships, I think helps you understand your partner at a much deeper level. And also gives you this really neutral language. Right. Okay. So it gives you neutral language to talk about things when you're in conflict with one another, which I find incredibly helpful. Yes. When I would do marriage counseling, that would be one of the most difficult things is getting people to to couples to talk with each other in a neutral way because everything, you know, if everything's personal, then your immediate re- your immediate intention is to become defensive about right. something. So if we can talk about your, your quote-unquote type, which could mean, you know, this is relevant and true for a lot of people, right. it doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, this person is touching my hot buttons right, right away. Right, or that they're doing it on purpose. Right. That was the most interesting thing for me as as my husband and I went through the Enneagram was like, Oh, this is what at the root of what you're focused on. So that's why you, he, he's number six. So he's a mm-hmm. loyalist. Mm-hmm. And so what is a loyalist? Cause I don't have any six in my life. Okay. So let me tell you, cause I have them right here in this book. Um, okay. So type six is the loyalist, the committed security oriented type. Sixes are reliable, hardworking, and responsible, but they can also be defensive, evasive, and highly anxious, running on stress while complaining about it. They are often cautious and indecisive, but also reactive, defiant, and rebellious. They typically have problems with self-doubt and suspicion. At their best, healthy sixes are internally stable, self-confident, and self-reliant, courageously supporting the weak and powerless. Mm. So... Um. Yeah, that's a six. Okay, so why don't we why don't we pause? Why don't you tell us what you are oh, yeah. and read okay. us about your type? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm an eight, the okay. challenger. People that know me well will probably be like, oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so what is this? Can I just th- say before you read your? I feel like an eight is someone who helps you get ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not if you have an eight in your life and you're not ready. I'm just shaking my head right now. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> just shaking my head. Okay, so eight is the challenger, the powerful, dominating type. Eights are self-confident, strong, and assertive. Protective, resourceful, and decisive. They can also be proud and domineering. Eights feel that they must control their environment, often becoming confrontational and intimidating. They typically have problems with allowing themselves to be close to others, at their best, healthy eights are self-mastering, and they use their strength to improve others' lives, becoming heroic, magnanimous, and sometimes historically great. So as an eight, I definitely relate to being very decisive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I 
I am just so incredibly extroverted. I get all of my energy from being around people. Mm-hmm. So if I if I'm by myself too long, I I just have no energy and I'm so tired. But if I can be around people, I'm just I'm let's let's make moves. I'm so excited. Right. So the whole thing about getting close to others is not necessarily the case mm-hmm. um, for me, but. I do think that I'm I am constantly trying to make things better, which is really I think hard especially with Alex, my husband, um with him like really wanting things to be reliable. If something's reliable and I'm trying to change it, he's like, "What are you doing? Stop messing with something that works." Right. And I'm like, "But this could just be this much better. Let's just adjust it this much." And so that's it does kind of freak people out sometimes when I'm like, oh, let's let's change this up. Let's tweak this. And they're like, whoa. I'm not an eight, but I, I do find that to be true about my personality mm-hmm. too. And I think that maybe is the counselor in me, mm-hmm. always seeing where there's a growth opportunity. Right. Like, oh my gosh, we could just take this up a notch and it would be, if we just dug into this and like really flushed this out, it could be so great. And my husband is a nine, which is a peacemaker. We'll get into that. But like nines, not necessarily about that life. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, this is all really great as it is right now. Right. Let's Don't, just, let's let's just, just not go touch with it. that. And yeah. 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 Well, what's also interesting about the, the diagram that you could Google later yes. of the diagram of the Enneagram is that it, it looks like a circle with almost like a star inside of it, um, but with nine points. And so each personality... Um, each number, when it's healthy, it can look like another number. Right. And so that's another really interesting thing, too, is that they are really connected. Yes. So just because I'm not a six doesn't mean that I'm not reliable and self-confident. Right. It's that it, it is connected to all of those, which mm-hmm. I really like. Yeah. All right. So, Laura, what are you? So so I'm a, I think I'm a two, which is the helper, but on some of these, um, first of all, you can go on Google and, and type in Enneagram test. Yeah. And there's plenty of free tests out there for you today to figure out what you are, what your type is. Um, there are some that you can pay for that will get real in-depth for you. Mm-hmm. And there they'll... you. When you're reading, you might say, somebody might say, well, I'm a two with a strong three wing. I can't really articulate for you what that means. But when I did my test, my two and my three were pretty equal. So I think what that meant was that, or what I've assessed it to mean, I, I identify, I think, a little bit more with a two as the helper, but I definitely have a strong achievement wing, and that's all about the three. Yeah. Um, so yeah, read the two and the okay, three. Okay, so here's the two. Uh, the caring interpersonal type. Twos are empathetic, sincere, and warm-hearted. They are friendly, generous, and self-sacrificing, but they can also be sentimental, flattering and people pleasing. I don't I don't feel like that's true for me, but they're driven to be close to others and they often do things for others in order to be needed. They typically have problems taking care of themselves and acknowledging their own needs. At their best, healthy twos are unselfish and altruistic and have unconditional love for themselves and others. So what I've heard about twos, unhealthy twos 
I think are really looking for love and affirmation. And so what they'll do is their behaviors are really about giving and taking care of others in the hope that that will be reciprocated back to them. I think a really healthy two gives away the love very freely because they have a great sense of self for them. And so, um, so I think that's, those are kind of the, the, that healthy and that flip side shadow side of a two, but um, type three is the achiever, which is the adaptable, adaptable, success-oriented type. Threes are self-assured, attractive, and charming, ambitious, competent, and energetic. They can also be status-conscious and highly driven for personal advancement. Threes are often concerned about their image and what others think of them. They typically have problems with workahol- being workaholics and competitiveness. At their best, healthy threes are self-accepting, authentic, and everything they seem to be role models who inspire others. So I definitely like to work and I get a lot of value personal. I think I, I feel personally valued by working and achieving in my work. Right. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with having a workaholic father because that's what was modeled for me. And so... Not to not to completely diss on my parents, but having a workaholic father and having a just having a really complicated family dynamic where I don't think there was a lot of I think very I'm very much like a 70s 80s child like latchkey kid come home take care of yourself which really means becoming independent early on and so not a lot of like. Not a lot of that millennial parenting, nurturing, taking care of was there. And so I think that's why I look to achieve on my own. And that brings me a lot of sense of worth, I guess is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, um, yeah. So, well, let me go through the other types. Let me yeah. just do a quick overview of all of the types. So we have the number one, the type one is a reformal, principled, idealistic, one are ethical conscientious, strong sense of right and wrong. They are teachers and crusaders, always striving to improve things, but afraid to make a mistake. Well-organized, orderly, fastidious, they try to maintain high standards. So that's a one. The two is the helper. The three is the achiever. The four is the individualist, which is a romantic, introspective type. Fours are self-aware, sensitive, reserved, and quiet. Um, They are self-revealing, emotionally honest, and personal, but they can also be moody and self-conscious. At their best, they're inspired and highly creative, able to renew themselves and transform their experiences. So then the five is the investigator, intense cerebral type. Fives are alert, insightful, and curious. They're able to concentrate and focus on developing complex ideas and skills, independent and innovative, They can become preoccupied with their thoughts and imaginary constructs. They become detached, high-strung, and intense. So it's a five. Mm -hmm. The six is the loyalist, which I told you about, right, Alex. Um, The seven is the enthusiast, the busy, productive type. Sevens are versatile, optimistic, and spontaneous, playful, high-spirited, practical. They can also be overextended, scattered, and undisciplined. They constantly seek new and exciting experience, but become distracted and exhausted by staying on the go. They typically have problems with superficiality and impulsiveness. Mm -hmm. So seven, the eight, challenger, which is me. And the nine is the peacemaker, the easygoing, self-effacing type. Nines are accepting, trusting, and stable. They are good-natured, kind-hearted, easygoing, and supportive, but can also be too willing to go along with others to keep the peace. 
They want everything to be without conflict, but can, can tend to be complacent and minimize anything upsetting. They typically have problems with passivity and stubbornness. At their best, healthy nines are indomitable and all-embracing. They can bring people together and heal conflicts. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the overview of the nine types. Yeah. I think I think Brian, in all fairness, I think he's like a seven and a nine, like mm-hmm. really close on this. Yeah, but that makes sense. Yeah. For sure. One of the most interesting things that I learned about nines, um, and this was, again, from the Road Back to You podcast, who they were interviewing a nine, and he, I think he was a social worker or a psychologist, one of the two, but he was talking about um, a situation with his wife, and his wife was telling him about something, and um, he was actively listening to her, taking it all in, a lot of nonverbal communication, head nodding, yes, I'm with you, Uh uh-huh, I hear you. But, and she took that to mean, oh, well, you're with me. You understand and you are in agreement with me. Right, because of the head nodding. Because of the head nodding. right. And he was like, actually, no. I was just letting her know that I was hearing her, but I didn't agree with her. Right. And so, mind blown. Yeah, yeah. Because in a therapeutic context, if somebody's giving me all of the nonverbal cues, like that they're with me, I am assuming that you're in agreement with me. And so... That was such a great clarifier for me. Like, if you're with a nine in any context, you might need to ask them a really direct question like, do you agree with this? Are you on board with me? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Otherwise, they might not be. Yeah. And you have no idea. Right. Totally. Totally. So then you're operating under this assumption like we're in agreement with each other. Right. Yeah. So for the people that don't like... I've, I've been talking to people about the Enneagram because for me, it's been... It's been so affirming and illuminating of how how I am behaving in certain situations where I'm like, okay, is this true to reality or am I operating out of assumptions and therefore my personality is is moving in this direction? Mm. Or owning for me it's been really helpful to own I, I just make decisions. I rarely don't know what I think. <laughs> like right. if you're going to be like, what, what are you feeling for lunch today? I'm ready to tell you or give you three options. Right. Like I'm ready to make some decisions. Whereas there are other people that are like, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I hardly ever say that, but I'm trying to get better at it because mm. it's a lot, it's a lot more helpful to give people time to flesh out exactly what they're asking. Um, but again, if you ask me a question, I'm ready to tell you exactly what I think. Also being super extroverted and an external processor, mm-hmm. I'm ready to right. tell you. So for the Enneagram though, it's been really helpful to know that that's just how I operate, but that's not how everyone else operates. So what it does is again, helps with my own self-awareness and to know especially on the team, who am I dealing with, so that I can say, well, tell me a little bit more about what you're talking about before I tell you what I'm thinking and Mm -hmm. go off on a rabbit trail. Mm -hmm. So, Okay, I think we need to discuss eights. Yeah. Because I feel like they're, and I'm going to come at this straight up from a feminist point of view, okay, that they're men male eights and female eights I think are treated very differently oh yeah and if we look at some of these same constructs of personality we look at a male who is assertive dominant take charge ready to go decisive they will be lauded they will be told that these are great traits for them to have they will be affirmed they will be told that they're great leaders um 
they will be told that in their, I think their personal lives, but particularly in their work lives. Right. Conversely, when you have a woman, a female who is an eight, who has those same characteristics of I am here, I know what I think, I know how to do this, I can, I am capable, and I will tell you what you need to know, I will tell you what your place is, I will be assertive about that and dominant because I am confident in these things, she will more often than not be viewed negatively. Mm-hmm. She will be considered a problem in the workplace. Mm-hmm. She will not be affirmed. She may even be told she needs to be quiet, that she needs to settle down, that she needs to learn her place. And that is so unequivocally unfair. Yeah. And I'm wondering for you, mm-hmm. has, do you find that to be true? Mm-hmm. And like, how do you reconcile such clearly unfair gender roles for someone of this personality type? Yeah, that's a great question. I certainly have experienced that a lot, especially in really close relationships with male co-workers um, and and more in, in really subtle ways mm-hmm. of, of watching very similar things happen with another male on staff. Um, in these different places or even in volunteer roles and and that being received when I said something very similar um, in a similar tone and stature and it and it being like it, it not being received as well right. and so then the way that I've internalized that is like huh I wonder if I'm too intense why am I so intense why can't I just be like oh that's a that's a really nice idea instead of well I love the idea let's talk about how that's gonna get played out right <laughs> like so I one of the most helpful um, things as I have been exploring what it what being an eight means in my life has been listening to this road back to you podcast and there's a fantastic preacher named Joe Sax- Saxton that gets um, she's a pastor, preacher, teacher um, that I had known before through a organization teaching, um, anyway, called 3DM. And she's fantastic. But she she talks about how, first of all, she is um, she has an accent. She's, she's raised in Britain, but I think she's from Nigeria originally. Um, And so being a female with an accent, but also being um, African in um, her ethnic background, and then also being a teacher, preacher, how that has just, it's been really obvious to her that men that are eights are lauded and women that are eights are told you're too intense. You're too much. You're too much. And I, hearing her say that for the first time um, on this podcast of her experience in the world, which is very different from mine, but um, in in her upbringing, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so interesting because mm-hmm. I have felt like I've been too much for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and, but not really knowing how to, how, how to like change. And, um, and, and how that means, but also like things. that is your gift, right? I mean, this this is what the creator has made you to be. Right. But right. then for the world to tell you that you are right. too much, right? Right. I, I know. Mean, I what, have, a, what a what a internal conflict, but also maybe even spiritual conflict. Oh, totally. And I think 
I think that has been one of the most powerful prayers. Shout out to my the best boss I've ever had ever, Lee Holloway. Um, she would always um, she would always have this hand motion of her fingers coming together, her hands, you know, clasping, but her fingers intertwining, and always saying, "This is how you were knit together," mm-hmm. and reminding me of other folks too. You know, when we would um, talk about certain families or certain people. You know, I really think this is how they are knit together. This mm-hmm. is a little, let's go deeper. This is how they're knit together. Right. And I really love that because I do think that she was very affirming to me as, no, I think I think these things that you're struggling with, it, it is really how you are knit together. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was really, um, that was really helpful. I do think that when I am... Um, I have been a supervisor before, and one of the things about those kind of roles is that those those aspects of my personality are very helpful to be able to to be a supervisor to make decisions to um, to be able to delegate and follow back through because of the self confidence. I'm willing to bring things up and confront things. Um, that's really helpful in that kind of atmosphere, mm-hmm. and so a lot of this kind of went was really helpful and good in certain roles and then in other roles you can I can tell that it's like whoa what are you doing over here Mm -hmm. and I'm like oh I this is how I'm knit together but one of the things I think that Enneagram does really well is it doesn't it's not giving you a free pass right of like if this is just how you're together you have to decide you have to discover how you use that to navigate the world in healthy and authentic ways right so it is. It has been really feeling unfair that I think that if I was a man in my position, even in 2017, I think that I would get treated a lot differently. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is just a weird a weird thing. Um, I think we're moving in really good directions, and I think the more that I that I stand my ground with sensitivity, um, it, it is helpful mm-hmm. that. I do think, though, that I have to constantly check my emotions. If I say this, the things that I was going to say anyway, but mm-hmm. with less emotion, everything seems to go smoother. Mm. Although one of the things about eights, though, is that we can be manipulative. We, we know what we think, and we want to get it done, mm-hmm. and we want to make things better, and sometimes we will be manipulative to do that. Mm-hmm. And I... I can totally go to the like, oh, so like, I'm so sorry, but could you please help me with this? And would you, what do you think? Do you think this Which, is a good idea? Okay, but also let's just be honest that that is right. a very societally acceptable right. female role. <laughs> and that's what, yeah. and what female has not been taught to do that? Right, right. What female has been taught not to do that? So anyway, I'm capable of, of doing some manipulation so that um, different people don't necessarily think that the idea is mine alone. Like, right. oh, I'm just, I'm just like thinking about this. Can you help me? Can you please help me decide? Which there are lots of times where it's like, I, I need some help thinking through this. Right. I need some help. This is what I'm thinking. Tell me what you think. I have found that as a team member, by the way, just to be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, I can be very stuck in my head. And I feel like one of the gifts that you have is... Um, more in like the visionary type part and then can help figure out 
move move us as a team into action. Yeah, yeah. And I I find that to be super super helpful. Well, I'm glad because I think a lot of times, and I find this with my husband, is he'll have an idea, and if I can't envision a way to make it happen, mm. if I can't picture the the steps that we need to take, I I can't move forward yeah which is really which is really interesting so that like that movement from big idea where we are now to big idea that step that flow of how we get there is just really important right and if i can't envision it that can be really frustrating to people right (laughs) they're like you know we just want to do this we we can just figure it out and i'm like well i i don't think it's gonna work can you explain to me how you think this is gonna how how I mean, from lots of times this happens with trip planning. <laughs> yeah. So so tell me again how we're going to, if we go with all these couples, how food is going to work. Because that seems like it's going to be a conflict area. It's right. going to be fine. It's going to, somebody's going to figure it out. I'm like, but hold on. Right. How, how is that going to? You're like, so. Well, I, I just see that as a way of foreseeing that this will be a problem right. area and wanting right. to be proactive to figure right. out, okay, well, how will we, how could we go ahead and deal with this now right. in order for there not to be conflict? Right. And that's the control thing. I want to make sure that we have some control. We have some barriers. We have some framework to make sure that we're doing, doing what we need right. to do. At the same time, like I just want to affirm that as a therapist, that I think being able to to address conflict head on is also a a very healthy gift. Yeah. And when done in a really good way, um, that can be very helpful to people. Because I I don't necessarily, I can be confrontational and conflictual when I I really feel like there's no other way. Mm -hmm. I would really love to use any other way. Yeah. Um, Before I have to do that, just depending on how intertwined I am with somebody. Yeah. but I do think that is that is that is a gift. Yeah, I think too. I I think back to my first job being a supervisor and how um, lucky it was to be at a to be running summer camp because every new summer there's essentially a new a new group of people, new roles. Everybody else is in. They've never been a head counselor before. They've never been in the aquatics coordinator before. Mm-hmm. So. I essentially got to start over um, dealing with conflict because you dealing with conflict is really hard. Managing personalities, it's all conflict management. Right. And so the only way you get better really is by trying it and failing it and doing it a little bit better next time. And so that's been a, that was a such a grace filled thing that was so hard I mean it was so hard Mm -hmm. but it was I'm so thankful for for that particular position because um I I can just think of even dealing with inner staff dynamics when people would accidentally hurt each other's feelings and then it just explodes um of trying to bring people into a room and dealing with it and being like wow I did not do that right I don't know what I did wrong but I know that it did not go Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. so gonna need to pull in some other people but I think this is kind of a flip side but in my previous work in university admissions and in career counseling and advising and things of that nature I think that when a problem arose it was immediately like identifying okay well what is the need and in my helper role then we just immediately moved into what are the remedies for this so how can we give people all what they need right and so it's like a different it's a different way of dealing with problems both very valid but um I think that's one of the reasons why I 
don't have as much work being conflictual because my immediate thing is to go into problem solving. Right. And I think that's been really helpful us being in a partnership is that I, I want to identify like <laughs> we need to we need to name well, right. I'm always trying to name something. We need to name what the conflict was so that we avoid this next time. Yeah. So that we can, we're clear on what didn't work to move forward so that we can, I'm, I'm all about a SWOT analysis and SWOT. I'm mm-hmm. always like, what are the threats? What are the weaknesses? Right. So we remember those next time, which is really uncomfortable. If something's your baby, if some, if some event right. that you did, you loved and you put your blood, sweat, and tears in, it's hard to name the weaknesses, mm-hmm. right? But I think that for me, that's really important so that we can, not do the same thing next year or next time. Mm-hmm. Whereas I do think for you, I can get so stuck on that <laughs> and it can feel so intense. Whereas I think you are like, great, if that was a weakness, what's the opportunity? How can we make this better next time? Because I'm already, I, you're always like ready to just make it happen. Right. Like, okay, there's an issue. We'll just do it. Why do we need to spend some time? We didn't need to spend this much time talking about it. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. And I'm like, okay, you're right. I need to get, I need to get out of my own headspace. We just need to make this work and right. we're, we're ready to roll. Right. So it really has been, it has been really, really good. So let's talk about twos and threes. Okay. So... In the helper role, yeah, um, a lot of times I think that helpers, um, the helpers do really want to um, make sure that everybody is good all the time, mm-hmm. and sometimes that leaves them out. Right? Yeah. It's like I'm taking care of everybody's needs, carving out time for self care. Has that been a part of kind of your story and you're navigating the world? Definitely. I don't think I was. Uh, because I'm a therapist, I can't I can't stop, but I have to go back. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I'm like in the childhood, very <laughs> yeah, yeah. psychoanalytic. Um, I think that there, because it was a, a very workaholic type family, there was no emphasis on anybody. Was no one was doing self care, mm-hmm. and in what you may want to do, like life enjoyment, didn't seem to be a priority. Mm-hmm. If you know what I'm saying, yeah. Which, you know, it's a privilege, honestly, if you're at a place in life where you can think about how can I. How can I live to my highest self-actualization and, and into into happiness? So I understand maybe my parents were at a place where they literally were working hard to put food on the table and a roof over our head. Um, but so why am I saying that? I lost my train of thought. We're talking about self-care. Okay, so so yeah, self-care, not a thing. Not mm-hmm. not not a thing at all. But and so I think because I do want people to to be happy and to be self-actualized and to be their best selves, I will, I'm willing to invest in that. Yeah. Um, but I do understand, like, I am a vessel. And if if I'm a car, let's just use the car now. If I'm a car and I don't put gas in my gas tank, I can't go anywhere. Right. And so if I don't put gas in my own emotional gas tank, my own physical gas tank, my spiritual gas tank, then what's going to happen is, yes, for a period of time, I'm going to be able to go, go, go and give, 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 but eventually I'm going to get tapped out. Yeah. And I'm going to get burnt out, which I have experienced. Yeah. And so hopefully I'm a tad wiser, but that is a constant ever present daily struggle for me. Like, okay, what am I, I have to be conscious in my head and asking myself the question, what do I need for myself today? Right. And then obviously as a full-time person who is working and a parent and a wife and all these roles that we play, it's like, okay, well, where am I going to get the time for that? Right. Um, 
somebody, I, I recently read, um, this is a leadership thing, but it was like leaders can have only three of five things. It was like work, family, friends, fitness, and something else. Oh, good. Because I'm like... It's like you can only have three in that. And uh-huh. I was like, that that feels true because I, I, I will say that in, in the work that I've been doing for the last four years, one of the biggest criticisms I've come under is from my own friend group mm. that I haven't spent enough time with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's only, it's not because the want isn't there. Right. The want and the desire is totally there. And I'm a relationship person. And so right. of course I want to, I want to pour into that. Yeah. But like, I only have so many hours in the day. Right. And, um, you know, it's hard and so again i think twos will readily sacrifice themselves for for the greater good of others yeah and that's that's not good Mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah. but carving out time for sure for self-care the other thing about twos with um some other people that i know or that i suspect are twos Mm -hmm. is how important self-worth is to how they navigate being a helper which you kind of touched on earlier is Mm -hmm. that people that are in unhealthy twos are are in an unhealthy space they're helping others really with the expectation that because they're doing this it's going to be reciprocated right because that's where their self-worth is coming from right and so here's here's why that's problematic because you are putting an unsaid expectation onto someone else and that's based in something that you really need. And so because of that, you are almost doomed to 100% disappointment when you have an uncommunicated expectation that you've put on someone else because they have no idea that that's a need that needs to be met. Um, the other thing is I think unhealthy twos can lean towards codependence and that is where there's not a good sense of self. And so. Um, always looking for others to give them what they need or their identity is wrapped up in another individual. And I think um, like there's a lot of people who are maybe uh, in recovery um, for alcoholism or are in addiction and they have all these codependent tendencies. Right. Um, and so I, I have a codependent mother. And so that's always something that I've known from a very early age. We were very open and honest about in early therapy. And so I, I'm always, that's right there in the edge of my consciousness, not to play into that and to be very careful about that. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think one of the things that's also really interesting about the Enneagram is how, uh, how again, these, these are patterns right. that then you, when you look at your own life through that lens, you can identify the patterns and then help make yourself more aware. Right. Can I, I just tell you, much. like, therapy is about, therapists are trying to help you identify patterns so that you can change behavior and or change ways of thinking so that then you can feel better right right i love it okay so another thing of this book um they talk about the the main themes of the positive outlook so i just want to read the two emphasizes positive self-image i am a caring loving person they focus on their good intentions they can avoid those seeing their own neediness, disappointment, and anger, and have problems with the overemphasis on the needs of others and the neglect of their own, which we've kind of talked about. So mm. I love that it it is kind of addressing um, 
the pattern so that you can say, okay, I, I know that I'll probably fall into neglecting my own needs. I need to carve out time. Um, and again, it is a privilege to be in this space of, of awareness, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be, you know, massages at the day spa. Right. It could be. Um, it certainly could be a walk by yourself. Right. For me, it could be getting lunch with people that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be things like that so that it is um, the small, the smaller right. things. Another thing, too, is the idea of... Um, so I was going to read my, my eight of yeah. the main themes of the reactive group, mm-hmm. which, is, which is an eight. Um, they seek independence and self-reliant. They want to need others as little as possible to be their own person. They fear being controlled or dominated by others. Thus, they fear intimacy and becoming vulnerable by trusting or caring too much. Um, and then deals with others by keeping their guard up, not letting others get too close, and toughening themselves against hurt and their need for others. Which I don't really relate to a whole lot of this. Yeah, <laughs> I was like mentally shaking my head <laughs> yeah. no to most of that for you. But I, I certainly do think that I like being independent and self and self-reliant. I do love working with other people. I love a good brainstorming session. I love a good um, dreaming and scheming party where we, we put it all out on the table, yeah. we put stuff up on the walls. Um, I do think that I have come to realize that vulnerability is just key to everything. Vulnerability is key to communication. Yeah. It's key to equipping other people. It's key to releasing people into what they want to do. Like you've got to be vulnerable enough to... I just think that clear to, vulnerability is just clear for clear communication, clear yeah. communication, which is just really the foundation of everything. Right. So if I can be vulnerable and be self confident in my vulnerability, mm-hmm. hopefully I'm allowing other people to do that as well yeah. to say what they really think, what they really feel in a safe space, yeah. so that we can move forward together mm-hmm. without a lot of assumptions of of intentions or whatever. Let me ask you: in can you are you can you readily? Ex- access in the book what a healthy two looks like yeah the other because I feel like the more that we've talked that I maybe I am moving more into my healthy my healthy two space yeah I was just which is a different number um the healthy two I was literally just looking at it um I feel like it's over here I mean, this this book goes into... There's so many good books on the yeah. Enneagram out there. Um, oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you, when did you first hear about it? Because I remember when I first heard about it and you already knew about it. <laughs> okay. So I, I hadn't, I've only been in, in church work four years. Um, and that's when I first heard about it. Uh, I think our Christian educator um, mentioned it to me. And it was almost as if people were like, you don't know about this? <laughs> and I think because going back to this is not necessarily a scientifically validated instrument for measurement. This isn't something like in um, the in psychology or counseling that you would find people readily using. But because it's based in this more oral storytelling and more, I think, um, Jungian type, uh, type like the collective unconscious, uh, I think that's why people like to use it. And also has like this spiritual component to it. But so, yeah, I was like, yes, I am down. I'm here for it. Tell me, tell me all about this, this instrument. And so. 
but I never had the time to really look into it until really this year and I'm I'm obsessed yeah I'm fascinated yeah I heard about it on the Robcast with um, Richard Rohr and just got fascinated of what of the things that they were saying and so we started talking about it and our church was doing a study on Richard Rohr's new book and so then we kind of dove in and got really curious about finding out about our own selves and then how crazy it was that we were our enthusiasm kind of caught fire on our team of how we're like wow this is so true for me I'm so surprised and then moving forward. I did find a healthy two with a three wing, mm-hmm. the hostess, um, which I'm going to read to you right okay, now. The great. healthy. People of this subtype are more outgoing. They seek love through creation of personal connection and making others feel good. The self-esteem with the two with the three wing is tied to personal qualities rather than the quality of service to others. They are sociable, talkable, charming, adaptable, with much personality and evidence. They enjoy bestowing whatever talents and resources they possess on others. Whether that's cooking, entertaining, singing, or listening, they are always, all the ways of sharing their inner bounty. So I think that that is true for you, certainly about knowledge and spiritual things. I'm gonna claim it. Yeah. I love it. Claim it. I'm gonna claim it. So yeah, I, I, and again, finding out more and more about yourself. And the interesting thing about doing this on teams, I think, is realizing, again, to use Lee Holloway's words, that how people are knit together so that you understand that they're not doing this out of a negative place, out of a place of intention. Mm -hmm. I'm intentionally trying to drive you crazy, but rather this is how I navigate the world. And so if you know that the intention isn't, um, to be secretive or to, I, based in a place of like, I don't value what you bring to the table or whatever, knowing what the, this is just how we operate. I think it becomes again, that neutral language to adjust how you react to other people, yeah, especially on your team. So I think if you are at all curious about this, we really encourage you. We'll probably put the link, some links on the blog um, and some places to find it when we post on Instagram so that you can go take the test. We encourage you to do it with your spouse, with a, with a close friend, somebody that could definitely speak in and affirm some of these things. Also, if you're in management, like I would encourage you, get somebody who's really skilled at this to come in and if you're doing any type of... Um, you know, team building, it's a great way to start and help everyone understand their gifts and where their challenges are. But well, I think can also really bring a team closer together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it has been so fascinating in our spiritual lives as well to be thinking about how how we're knit together, how we fit into the larger body, that we need all of these different types. That how crazy would the world be with all eights? It would be insane. Um, Also, I love that on the side, there are people that have the same personality um, stuff. And so with... um, These are little quotes within in the book. Yeah. And so some people that that are twos, Mother Teresa, Eleanor Roosevelt, Barbara Bush, Florence Nightingale... Um, so there are some great people that it, it's fun to also think about other people that have the same, um, have the same type that you have. For sure. So, um, 
Yeah, I think we we just encourage you to go check out the Enneagram because it is a really interesting tool that, again, based in oral tradition that has survived for so long, there is so much wisdom um, that is placed within these ideas. Absolutely. Okay, so great podcast resource, The Road Back to You. Yeah, I'm sure. If you want to know more about um, the Enneagram. And so get on it. Get on it. All right. Next time.